Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. That's page 1875 in your pew Bibles. And when we come to a time of opening God's word, we believe that this is the holy word of God. Uh, that 66 books of the Bible have been divinely inspired by the Lord himself. And as the Westminster Confession states, it is the rule of faith and life. And so as we approach the word of God, we do so worshipfully, we do so reverently, and we do so in awe of who God is. And so as you're turning your Bibles, let's go to him in prayer and then we'll begin. Lord, this morning we are humbled by the blessing of your word. Uh, that we as mere people can get to know the God of very gods, the God of the universe, through your word. And so, Lord, help us not take lightly the opening and expounding of your word, but may your Holy Spirit move in us to illuminate your word that we might be transformed and drawn closer to you. Lord, speak to us through your word in these coming moments that we might be agents of reconciliation that we might be healed, that we might be whole, and that we might then go and bring others to hear the good news of the gospel. So Father, help us to enter into worship now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, and today we are going to be looking at 13 through 16, and over the last several weeks, we have started a by faith series where we investigate Hebrews chapter 11, which is a very famous um, faith hall of fame, if you will, and so you can go back and look at those sermons on firstpresgreenville.org, um, but Richard has laid the groundwork investigating and exegeting these um, figures of the faith, and so verse 13 in chapter 11 says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have, been, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, before we really dive into the scripture, I want you to think of something in your life. It could be present or it could be in the past, but think of something that you have longed for, something that you needed I think all of us have had situations in our lives where we thought that this thing or this event or this person is going to bring us joy and sustained joy. They were going to bring wholeness. They were going to, it was going to bring some kind of blessing for us. So think of that thing. The first thing in my life that I remembered feeling that way about came when I was eight or nine years old. I was obsessed with Star Wars. Any Star Wars fans in the room? A couple of you, okay. I was obsessed with Star Wars. And because I was eight or nine years old, I had all these Star Wars toys that Mattel made. And so I would set up little battles in my room and I would play for hours and I would make my parents play with me. And we'd have these just incredible things, these incredible battles. Um, but there was one piece that was missing from my collection. You see, I discovered that there was a, a, a limited edition, battle-damaged, removable helmet Darth Vader. And when I tell you I needed it, I mean it. 
I needed this toy to really round out my collection. It might seem silly to you. Um, it wasn't a want. Wants are childish. This was a need of mine. I had to have it. And, and so kind of the way that my childhood worked at the time is on Fridays, my dad would give me $10 for allowance. So what would happen is I would go to school. My mother would pick me up. We would go visit my dad at his place of work. Uh, he would give me $10 after chatting for some time. And then we would go to Walmart. So Walmart had Star Wars toys and you could buy exactly two for $10. So every Friday, we'd get picked up, go to my dad's car dealership, go to Walmart, get two action figures. So I would look every Friday, I would look for limited edition battle damage removable helmet Darth Vader. And Friday after Friday after Friday, I would have no luck. Fast forward to a Wednesday. I remember this very specifically. My mom had some errands to run, and so I went with her, and we went into Walmart, and she was doing what other, whatever mothers do at Walmart, and I went to the toy section. And to my surprise was the object of my heart's desire. There in front of me on one of the pegs was limited edition battle damage removable helmet Darth Vader. And guys, I, I know this sounds silly. I had to have it. And so I grabbed it, I snatched it, and I went to my mom because I didn't have any money. I didn't know anything about saving money. So I went to my mom and I said, mom, let's cut a deal. Listen, we've got some adult business we have to deal with here. I need this. And she was teaching me a lesson about saving and so the answer was no. And so I did what any Christian young man would do in that moment. I hid Darth Vader behind a series of toys that I thought no one would want. Because I thought, it's only two days, what does it matter? So, Friday rolls around, I go to school. I live three lifetimes that day at school. Time is dragging by. Finally, the bell rings, I rush out to my mom's vehicle, I get in the car, we go to my dad's car dealership, my dad is making small talk with me, but I don't have time for this because I've got things to do. And so he gives me the $10, we go to Walmart, I run into where I had left Darth Vader and I start digging behind all these toys and somebody, I don't know who, but someone along the way took Darth Vader and I'm assuming purchased it because it was not there. I was devastated. I should have known Darth Vader would betray me, but I was hurt. <laughs> and this might seem silly to you, and it sounds silly saying it, I'm an adult, but it meant a lot to me. I needed that figure. And maybe for you, it's not Darth Vader, limited edition battle damage removable helmet Darth Vader. Maybe for you, it was June 29th, 2007. Maybe you camped out in front of the Apple store because the iPhone was first released. Or maybe for you, it was a, a position at your work or a new position. Or maybe for you, it was a relationship. But there has been something in your life that you thought was going to bring you joy, you thought was gonna bring you meaning, you thought was gonna bring you purpose, there was something that you had to have. If you're not on the same page with me, let me do this. How many of you remember being in middle school? A Couple of you, okay. Um, do you remember in middle school having this thought, I can't wait to get to high school? And then when you were in high school, you remember having this thought? I can't wait to get a car. And then you got a car, and what was your next thought? I can't wait to get to college. 
And then you got to college, and then I can't wait to graduate, can't wait to get a career, can't wait to get a spouse, can't wait to get a house, can't wait to have children. And every time we reach that thing that we think is going to bring us sustained joy, what happens? The bar goes up, doesn't it? Yeah. And I believe this is from God. I believe God has woven this into our very DNA. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. And I think God has created a signpost in our very souls that points to him. So let's look back at verse or 13, chapter 11, and we'll dive in. All these people, so Abraham, Abel, Noah, Sarah, Enoch, the people that Richard has talked about for the last several weeks, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. So take someone like Abraham. Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. All right, God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 in what is called a theophany and says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then he says, so get up and go. And he sends Abraham east. God promises Abraham something, that his descendants would be as numerable as the stars in the sky, the sand on the shore. And then he says, now get up and go. And what does Abraham do? He gets up and he goes. You see, Abraham lived out his faith in such a way that the promises of God dictated the purposes of his life. Abraham's life was informed by God's promises, and all of the actions that Abraham took were in order to attain and obey the things that God had commanded. Here's what I'm saying. One of the phrases that I love, when I, when I first heard it, it just changed my worldview. Um, one of the phrases that I love is this, your why informs your how. Why you do things will always, will necessarily affect how you do them. You see, many of us have varying whys. Maybe your why is the pursuit of money, the accumulation of cash. And so your how is going to be going about accumulating money, working longer hours in order to accumulate money. Maybe your why is comfort. And so your how then begins to become getting your, beds to ki- getting your kids to bed early so that you can go crash on the couch and watch Netflix. But your why will always dictate your how. And so here's my question for you. What is your why? What is the driving factor in your life this morning? What is the thing that when you wake up, it's what you're after? It's the, it's the first thought on your mind? It's what drives your schedule for the day? As you lay at, in bed going to sleep at night, it's the last thought on your mind. It's that nagging voice inside of you, and you will not be happy until you attain that thing. What, what is it? Because your why will always inform your how. The promises of God always inform the purposes of life. What is your why? Abraham had a why that gave birth to his how. Abraham's why that his descendants would be as innumerable as the sand on the shore, the stars in the sky, it dictated then how he went about his life. Now, I want to dissuade us for a second because I think the temptation for us is to look at people in Hebrews chapter 11 and go, well, of course, that's Abraham. 
He's, the, he's literally the father of the faith. We can't be like that. Abraham was an imperfect character in the scriptures. Okay, I just, I wanna dissuade you for a second. Let me give you an example. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, after God shows up to Abraham, he comes into Egypt and uh, Pharaoh sees that his wife Sarah is beautiful and so wants to take her. What does Abraham do? Does anyone remember? He just says, okay, here's the plan. Sarah, we're gonna say you're my sister. And that's it. That's the plan. There's no exit strategy. There's no like at midnight, I'll come get you and then we'll escape. There's nothing like that. Gentlemen in the room, let me just talk to you for a second. Ladies, you, you can tune out right now. If you are ever confronted with a choice that is either give your wife away or death, choose death. <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, you will never, you will never be right in your home again. And Abraham does it twice. Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20. Twice. Can you imagine how those dinner conversations go? You know, honey, I don't necessarily like the way, oh, we're gonna do this. Because I remember what you said to Pharaoh, I was your sister. It's not gonna go well. He wasn't perfect, but the God who was in covenant with Abraham was perfect and is perfect. The God who walks with you is perfect. The God who equips this church to transform the spiritual heart of the city is perfect. The God, the great I am is perfect. His promises inform our purposes. Let's look back at the text. All these people were still living by faith when they died. I think there's something to say about endurance. I have a friend who just completed an Ironman triathlon. Uh, it's 140.6 miles in one day. So he swam 2.4 miles, biked 112 miles, and then ran 26.2 miles. And my big question was like, was someone chasing you? Like, what, what was going on here? And so I asked him, I said, why? Why did you do that? And he gave me his reason, which was very private, so I don't want to share it. But um, then he, he said this on the end. There were days when my purpose wasn't strong enough, and so I had to be disciplined. Abraham was disciplined. Noah was disciplined. Enoch was disciplined. Sarah was disciplined. Are you disciplined? Discipline is the vehicle for purpose. Discipline is how purposes play themselves out in our everyday lives. When you're training for an Ironman triathlon and you wake up at 5 a.m., I'm guessing you're not joyful to go on a jog. But discipline is what drives you. You see, I think especially for men, um, we are more disciplined with our hobbies than we are with our faith. We're more disciplined with secondary and tertiary things in life than we are with the most important thing in life. Are you disciplined with your faith? There will be days when you don't want to read your Bible. There will be. Are you gonna do it anyway? 
There will be days where you don't want to attend worship. Maybe life is hectic, maybe something's going on, uh, maybe you're just not feeling it today. Are you going to anyway? Iliad Kipchoge, um, who is the marathon world record holder, he said this, only the disciplined ones in life are free. If you are undisciplined, you are a slave to your moods and your passions. Are you disciplined? The promises of God lead to the purposes of life, which gives birth to perseverance or discipline. Jocko Wilnick, who's a Navy SEAL and best-selling author, said, discipline equals freedom. Are you disciplined when it comes to pursuing the Lord? Are you getting up day after day after day and spending time with him and pursuing him and working on your relationship with him? Because no one wakes up on Tuesday holy. It takes weeks, months, and years of discipline to pursue the Lord. There's this thing in investing called dollar cost averaging. Uh, It's when you, in your discipline, invest regularly. When the market's down, you invest. When the market's up, you invest. When you feel like it, you invest. When you don't feel like it, you invest. Are we investing in our faith as much as we're investing in our 401ks? Are you disciplined? Are we doing it? Are we serious about this? And the verse goes on. We'll skip to verse 15. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Um, Humans are a fickle people, aren't we? We are very fickle. You know only 9% of people complete their New Year's resolutions? How many of you have ever started a diet on Monday and you ruin it by brunch time? We're not very good at being disciplined, are we? We're, we're bad at it. Yeah, they, they could have turned back. Abraham could have turned back and gone back to Ur of the Chaldees. He had an estate there for all intents and purposes. He had his father's land. He was, the, um, he was the successor of the patriarch. He could have gone back and it would have been easier. But promises of God led to purposes of life. His why informed his how. And so he left. And he went and did what the Lord told him to do so that he could attain the promise of God. Jesus says, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Paul says, and forgetting what is behind, I press on towards the goal of knowing him. In Hebrews chapter 12, the very next chapter, the author says, uh, consider Christ who for the glory set before him endured the cross. Are we disciplined in our pursuit of Jesus? And then finally, verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country. I want to camp out on that word longing for a second. We don't use words like that very often, especially when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We don't use the word longing or desire much, but the Bible is chocked full of people who use this type of language. Psalm 63, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And what we like to do is we like to make that a beautiful thing. We like to get a coffee mug with a picture of a buck on it, and we put Psalm 63 on it. But this is about an animal who is dehydrated and dying, longing for water. And the psalmist says, my soul longs for the Lord in the same way. 
And in the New Testament, Philippians chapter three, the apostle Paul says, I count all things as loss or as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. The apostle Paul had all sorts of good things going for him and he said, I don't care about my degrees, I don't care about my accomplishments, I don't care about any of that stuff, I want to know him. And I look at that and I think, Paul, you're selfish. Paul had direct revelation from the Lord himself. I want a quarter of what Paul had and I feel like I would be doing okay. And the apostle Paul says, I want more. I wanna know him. So here's my question. Are you longing for Jesus? Do you you want to know him? Jonathan Edwards called this religious affection. Does your heart desire to know the Lord? Is your why strong enough to affect your how? Do you want to love him? And, And listen, this isn't just biblical talk. People throughout history have felt the same way. I have a series of quotes. Um, One is from St. Augustine. It says this. um, Can we start back at the beginning of that? How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasures, though not to flesh and blood. You outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any of the secrets in our heart. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation, you are sweeter than all pleasure. In 1884, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, wrote, I thank thee that this, which is a necessity of my new life, is also its greatest delight. So I do at this hour feast on thee. Uh, John Owens then went on to write, Oh, to behold the glory of Christ, herein would I live, herein would I die, herein would I dwell in my thoughts and affections, until all things below become unto me a dead and deformed thing, no way suitable for affectionate embraces. Men and women all throughout history have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and their life became about the pursuit of him. I love the way this verse ends. Therefore, because they long to be with the Lord, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. First Presbyterian Church, people of God. What do we have to do for God to not be ashamed to be called our God? What would it take? A passionate longing to know Jesus Christ that then goes and transforms the spiritual heart of the city. That our why, knowing Christ, would inform our how. That knowing him would be the driving force in how we do life. That the pursuit of him would change how we treat our employees or our employer. That knowing him would affect the way we treat the people at the grocery store that our longing for Jesus would change the way we act towards our neighbors. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of commitment. 
And last week we started the capital campaign phase two here at the church because we believe that God is going to use First Presbyterian Church to transform the spiritual heart of this city. And today God is inviting you into that. He's inviting you to play a role in something that is so much bigger than each of us. And today is an opportunity to let our why affect our how. And we talk about the church in Corinth and and Bobby shared the verse from 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And that church routinely gave. They let discipline take over the way they treated their money. They let the why inform their how because they knew that God was greater. And so today we'll respond with a time of commitment after we pray. Let's pray. Father, this morning we rejoice in who you are, that you are the God of very gods, and so Lord, our souls long for you. May your Holy Spirit stir us to affection for you. And God, may we desire to know you better. And Father, now as we have a time of movement, as we have a time of response, uh, we ask that you would convict our hearts Convict us as we prayerfully consider a commitment to First Presbyterian Church and more importantly, the kingdom of heaven as we continue to transform the spiritual heart of this city through your power and for your name and renown. In Christ's name we pray, amen.